Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where in Jesus Christ we ourselves are called to be living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is, of course, the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. And please be seated. Some of you probably know, some of you might not know that before I was called into the ministry, I worked for my dad in the logging business. And when I was about 25 years old, I decided that I wanted to try my hand at owning my own truck. I'd gotten my CDLs and I'd started hauling wood and and the trucks that I'd driven for my dad had a, had a certain kind of transmission. It was a, a basic 10-speed, as far as I understood it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, shift into high range, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Now, whenever I wanted to buy my own truck and become a contract hauler, I couldn't afford a, a nice Peterbilt. I couldn't afford a nice Kenworth. For me, it was going to have to be a used Mack, a used Mack truck. It was light blue, and when I bought that truck and I started driving that truck, of course, I, I earned the CB handle Smurf because the truck looked like a Smurf coming down the road. But what was unique to me about this Mack truck that I bought was that it had a, a different transmission in it. It was called a Super 10. And it, it shifted differently than the ones I had grown accustomed to shifting. Instead of going all the way through the progression of gears in low range and then shifting up and going back through the progression of gears, this particular transmission, you had to shift in high and low range in each progression of gears. So low range one and high, high range one were the same hole. It's really first and second, and then third and fourth, and then fifth and sixth, all the way up through. And as you might imagine, transferring from one type of shifter to the other type of shifter made for some pretty awkward moments at red lights. I would stall out frequently. And it's not that I didn't know in my mind how to shift the gears. It had been explained to me and I had done it a few times, but it just took some getting used to. I say that to say Romans 12 the 12th chapter of the book of Romans is where we as Christians are called to begin to put into practice that which we come to learn and love in the first 11 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans 12, 1 and 2 really is the entrance into the final major section, which is Romans 12 through 16, of this passage. In the first 11 chapters, one learns all of the beautiful different contours of the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love. But once you come to chapter number 12, you move from the doctrinal to the duty. 
from Christian belief in chapters 1 through 7 to proper Christian behavior in light of what we believe in chapters 12 through 16. In other words, in chapter 12, it's like Paul is saying to the church, you have good theology now. First 11 chapters of Romans, you have good doctrine expounded and explained to you. And what you need to do now is begin to put it into practice to live out the implications of the gospel and and get your life into gear for Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ's glory. And that entails that we live a life centered on the worship of God and the will of God. That's really what's emphasized in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. That the Christian having imbibed all the glorious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, begin to live their life with with a central focus on the worship of God and on the will of God. And those two concepts will serve us this evening to frame our outline. In verse number one, Paul instructs the church that we are called as Christians, to live our lives centered around the worship of God. That's the the major theme of verse number one. You will notice in the last clause that everything that Paul has said in verse number one in terms of how we are to live is an act of spiritual worship. The Greek term that Paul uses in verse number one at the end is latruo, and it it has to do with serving the Lord in worship. Worship is in view in verse number one. What does... True spiritual worship look like in terms of one's life. And it's everything that he says in verse number one. As to how we live our lives in worship to God. Notice it's plea. Living a life centered on the worship of God. Notice the plea that he makes in verse number one. It's the first phrase. I appeal to you. Therefore. John Piper remarks that therefore in verse number one is literally It is literally a conjunction that you can build your life upon. I mean, it's just one word, therefore, but it literally lays a foundation for the Christian's entire existence in the world. Because what the therefore means is that in light of everything that's already been explained in verses 1 through, in chapters 1 through 11, rather, live your life in light of all of that. I appeal to you. Therefore, and that therefore really is like a, it's like a strobe light that points you back to the first previous 11 chapters. Edward Mote was a bivocational pastor in the 1800s England. He grew up the son of a cabinet maker and that's what he did on the side of sort of his tent making vocation as he pastored the the small church that wasn't able to stipend him enough to support him full time. And he was a very gifted writer. He enjoyed writing poetry. He enjoyed producing Christian hymns. And one Sunday, he went to visit a family in his congregation of whom the the mother, the matriarch of the family, had fallen very ill. And it it was looking like she was perhaps not going to recover from her sickness. And as he went to visit them, the the man of the house, the husband, 
told Pastor Moat that their family would like for him to, to read scripture to them, pray with them, and then if he would, lead them um, in a hymn. So Pastor Moat, of course, obliged and he read a passage of scripture and then he prayed with the family. And then he pulled out of his pocket the, the words to a hymn that he had been working on. No music had yet been assigned to it. But he pulled, them, he pulled that piece of paper out and he began to read these words. It, it, was, it was a hymn that he had been working on entitled The Unchangeable Basis of the Christian's Hope. The Unchangeable Basis of the Christian's Hope. And for the first time ever in recorded history, Pastor Moat, who had penned these words spoke them and read them to this family in need. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then he began to, he began to apply the tune that he was working into this poem that he had written when they sang another verse, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And the therefore, friends, in verse number one is a real commentary on that entire hymn. I appeal to you in light of everything that's been said in chapters 1 through 11 that you can build your life on the goodness and truth of the gospel of Jesus, your Savior. Paul is making no, no small plea to do this. Notice how he says, I appeal. Parakleo, it's the same, it's the same word that is used in its noun form to to give a title and a name to the third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, who he is inspired to write these words, when he says, I appeal, that is, I exhort, I urge, and I plea with you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And that's his person's. The plea is, I appeal to you, its persons are those he calls in verse number one, brothers, that is brothers and sisters, that is believers in Jesus Christ, that is those who have been converted, that is those who are in the church and who follow Christ and are his disciples. It does no good to go any further to think about how one might live their life to glorify and honor the Lord if first and foremost they have not been born again and they have not been through faith in Jesus Christ, adopted into his family. That's what it means to be called a brother or a sister. These people who love the Lord Jesus with love incorruptible, love that is sincere. Those and only those are those who can be called to live their life in an act of spiritual worship. For before one can devote themselves to the worship of the Lord, they must first be acceptable in his sight. No different than the Old Testament sacrificial system. If one was to bring an unsanctioned sacrifice to the Lord, the Lord would not accept that sacrifice. So in the same way, if we would come to the Lord, we must come only by the new birth wrought by the Holy Spirit and which produces faith and belief in our Savior. Notice 
the preconditions of living one's life in worship of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, here it is, by the mercies of God. I hope I never presented with this issue, but if I were going to be stranded on a desert island and you told me I can only take with me one book of my Bible, I think it would have to be Romans. I think if you ask me what is my favorite book of the Bible, it might depend on what day of the week it is that would determine what would be the answer I'd give you. But, but I think overall, I love the book of Romans because it is so systematic, beautiful, and precise. It really does have a beautiful flow to it. Romans 1 through 3 lays down the doctrine of sin. Romans 4 and 5 articulates the doctrine of salvation, justification through faith alone in Christ alone. And Romans 6 and 7 flow into sanctification, that is, dying to sin and living unto righteousness. And know that in your battle with sin, Satan will never be able to overcome you or snatch you from the Lord's hand. That's Romans 8. And and security, the doctrine of security that is unfolded in Romans 8. That that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, And all of that is because God is the one who is sovereign. You didn't save yourself. God saved you. Sovereignty is the theme of Romans 9 and 10 and 11. What are the different facets and contours of the gospel that Romans unfold? Well, first, its basis is understanding your own sin. That's why you need the gospel. That's Romans 1 through 3. And understanding that faith in Christ, apart from good works, is the only way to be made righteous with God. That's Romans 4 and 5. And when one is made right with God, they will begin to wage war on remaining sin. That is Romans 6 and Romans 7. Knowing all the time that they are secure in that salvation, Romans 8. Because God has chosen them sovereignly, Romans 9, 10, and 11. But you know what the last section of Romans is? Chapters 12 through 16? It's about service. Because if you've understood your sin, if you've received salvation, you are being sanctified and you are secure in the Lord's hand, sovereignly chosen by Him, then who among that number would not want to give their life back to the God who has given them such a wondrous salvation? And that's what Paul means when he says, I appeal to you. He makes this appeal, therefore, by or because of the mercies of God. Eleven chapters of truth are bound up in that phrase, mercies of God. The plea to live one's life centered on the worship of God. The persons appealed to living their lives in worship of God. The preconditions of living one's life centered on the worship of God is by the mercies of God. But notice, there's practicality to it as well. It's not just nebulous theory that Paul lays down in verse number one. It's very practical. You see what he says in verse number one? The direct appeal he makes is that we present our bodies. Do you know one very good practical way that you can honor the Lord in an act of spiritual worship with your life out of grateful gratitude for what he's done for you and your salvation? Give him your body. Devote your body to holiness and honoring the Lord in that way. I think among all religions in the world, the Christian faith stands alone probably in its theology of the body. 
I, I dare say most world religions divorce faith from one's body so that a lot of times the body just doesn't mean all that much. What you do with your body doesn't tend to matter in many of the spiritualistic religions of the world. But not so in the Bible. In the Bible, it's not just your soul the Lord saves. It is your body the Lord saves. Your eyes and your ears, your hands and your feet are purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ just as well as your soul has been. And therefore, we are commanded in Scripture to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6, glorify God with your bodies which belong to the Lord. And that's why, friends, this same Paul said to the Thessalonian church that the will of God is their sanctification, that they should abstain from fornication and know how to possess their vessels. And he's talking about their bodies, their vessels in holiness. Pretty fascinating to me that Paul would refer to the, to the Christian's body as a vessel. Literally a clay pot that would be used to hold water. And in the same way, our bodies have had the Holy Spirit poured into them and poured out on them. Who is like a river of living water welling up in our soul to everlasting life. And in a very real sense, in light of that, our bodies as believers are temples of the living God. Which according to Paul means fornication and all other sins of the flesh in any or all of their forms is an act of idolatry. It is an act of devoting what belongs to the Lord to something that is wicked. So if we would claim that our souls belong to the Lord, but have not given Jesus Christ's lordship over our bodies, then we haven't really given him our souls at all. In view of God's mercies to us, in view of the spirit who indwells us, present your bodies. And don't just gloss over that word present, by the way. Present your bodies. It has very deep Old Testament worship roots. Just as a worshiper was to present their offering to the Lord at the tabernacle or later the temple. We are to present our own bodies every day of our lives to the Lord to say, do with me according to your will. Use me, take my life and take my body and take my soul and take my will and everything that I am. And use it for your purpose, your kingdom and your honor and your glory, O oh Lord. That is really its perspective. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, when the Lord saved us, he did not call us to die, but to live. To live for him. And so we pray, take my life and let it be, do we not? Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments, take my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands, let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet, let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice, let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver, take my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. 
Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever, only, and all for thee. Can you say, brother, can you say, sister, this evening, that that is the aim of your life, in your work, at your job, in your home, at school, around your friends, or whatever the case is, that my hands, my feet, my lips, my money, my mind, my will, my heart, and all that I am belong to you, O Lord. I am not my own, but belong soul and body to my loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And by your grace, O Lord, I will give it to you to do with me as you see fit Only let it be for your honor and glory. That's good gospel perspective, friends. Presenting your bodies as living sacrifice. And there's finally a progress to this in verse number one. And here it is. Holy and acceptable to God. For the only acceptable life before God for his children is a holy life. And the word holy means morally pure, upright, pious, living one's life with godly integrity. With these things, the Lord is well pleased. And I love that he says, this is your spiritual worship. Because another way you could translate this phrase is as the old King James Version translates it, your reasonable service. That's a legitimate translation as well. One one of the ways that we derive that phrase reasonable service is that Paul uses a word that is similar here to the word from which we derive logic. That is, it's only logical. What he has said of us in verse number one is not something that is asking too much. It's only reasonable given All the grace that we have received, what is reasonable except to say, Lord, you have saved me and I belong to you. Oh, friends, live your life centered on the worship of God in this way. And also, we ought to consider how we are called to live a life centered on the will of God. That's that's verse number two. And the connection point is the first word in the original of verse number two, which is and, as, as this and as well as this, and do not be conformed to this world. If I could say it like this, a, a life centered on the worship of God and the will of God will grant to us the power of pushback. Do not be conformed to this world. That is When one lives with this perspective, by the grace of God, the world won't be able to form us into its cast like Plato in the shape of its mold. If you have small kids, as I do, you've seen them play with Play-Doh and they can smash it down maybe in the shape of a a, a plastic star. They they smash that Play-Doh down and then they can pull that star off and and there it is. The Play-Doh has been made into the shape of the thing that it was pressed down into. And Paul says, don't let the world do that to you. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
as I was thinking about verse number two, what, what came to my mind, just trying to, to put words into pictures in the natural world, what came to my mind was two of the most fascinating little creatures that God ever made. The chameleon and the caterpillar. So preacher, I have no idea where you're going with this. Well, hopefully it'll make sense. Two of the more fascinating creatures in God's world. I think what Paul is saying in verse number two is, in your Christian life, don't be chameleon-like, be caterpillar-like. One, the chameleon's change reflects the environment without and what is around it. The other, the caterpillar's change reflects the nature within it. That's very important. For Christians living in an increasingly darkening world, we are being called not to blend in, but friends, to stand out. That is one of the goals of the renewed mind so that we aren't conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. The word conformed is a fantastic Greek word, soon schematazo. It's, it's the word schemata, which means a, a, a mold or a cast. And a soon is, is a prefix that means with. Don't be cast into the mold of the world. In other words, Paul is saying that we can't let the views, the influences, the thought processes, the philosophies of this world form our mind according to its pattern and lead us away from biblical truth. Don't begin to think, don't begin to reason the way people do who are not renewed by the grace of salvation. J.B. Phillips has a classic paraphrase of the Greek construction. I think it's so very descriptive. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's a wonderful word picture. Don't let the world get its hands around you and its hooks inside of you. Don't let the world brainwash your way of thinking and lead you away from biblical truth into error. That's goal number one of a renewed mind so that we are not conformed to the world. But goal number two of a renewed mind is that so that we are transformed by the word. Not conformed to the world, but transformed by the word. Notice verse number two. Don't be conformed to this world, but an adversative instead of this, that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word transformed is the, is the word from which, of course, we derive the word metamorphosis, which is what made caterpillar pop into my head. And it's actually the word that is used in the Gospels when Jesus was transfigured before the three disciples. That is what was really on the inside. It, the, the veil of his humble flesh was pulled back and his divinity began to radiate out. And, and they could see what really was deep down on the inside. That this was indeed very God, a very God. He was transfigured. And we have been made New creatures in Christ Jesus and what has been worked in us by God the Holy Spirit in the new birth should begin to transform us and begin to be evident on the outside as our minds are renewed daily by the truth of the blessed word of God. Be transformed and the tense communicates that this is something that is ongoing. 
In other words, you could read it like this. But be being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because as you know, this is not a one-time thing. This is not something that just happens one time and you're forever transforming. Your mind is washed one time and it, it doesn't need to be refreshed again and again. It has to keep going on. Be being transformed. That is ongoing, continuous action every day of your life. Saint of God, be being transformed. Be being transformed until the day when you are fully and finally transformed in the presence of God in your glorified body. It's got to go on until that happens. One Christian said he saw a road sign that he wanted to be put on his tombstone. And I think y'all living in Jacksonville can understand this well because some road is always under construction around here. But one Christian saw a road sign that he wanted to put on his tombstone. It said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. (laughs) I think that would be a good testimony at the end of our lives. That God's work on us and in us and the transformation that is always taking place will not end until we are with the Lord. Only then will it it be able to be said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. The goals of the renewed mind is not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the word. But notice finally, as we move from the goals of a renewed mind to the wonderful gains of a renewed mind at the end of verse number two. Gains aren't always a positive thing in our thinking, are they? I've, I've had a lot of gains since I got married, about 75 pounds worth of gains, and those aren't always good, but in this verse, they are very good gains. Here are the gains of a renewed mind. So that, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Three gains mentioned here. It is learning God's will, it is living God's will, and it is loving God's will. Learning God's will. So that by testing you may discern. You can take one claim or the other and you can put it to the test. And when your mind has been renewed by the word of God and filled with this truth, then you can discern what is and what is not commanded and pleasing to the Lord. That is, you'll have discernment. You'll be able to distinguish between right and wrong, good and bad, evil and righteousness, truth and error. And you'll gain that when you renew your mind in the word of God day after day. Not not just learning, but living by it. By testing, you may discern the will of God. Whenever we talk about the will of God in theological categories we make a distinction between what we would call the the preceptive will of God and the decretive will of God or the secret will of God and the revealed will of God the decretive will of God is that aspect of the will of God that from our perspective is secret until we have already experienced it or lived through it that is we can't peer into the depths of God's wisdom to know what he has decreed for the future those are the secret things that belong to the Lord that's not that's not the will of God that is in view here it's the other category It is the revealed will of God, the preceptive will of God, the will of God as he has revealed to us in his word, saying to us in the Bible, here is what I want you to do with your life. Here is how I want you to live with your life. When when your mind is, is renewed by the word of God, you may 
and, and, and you discover how to test and discern what is the will of God. And why do you do that? So that you can live it. Not just know it, but live it. Learning God's will and living God's will and loving God's will. Not serving the Lord with teeth, grit, and only because I have to, but loving what you do because you know for whom you do it. Because it is good. A life lived this way, centered on the worship of God and the will of God, is good, acceptable, and perfect. The word good could also be translated beautiful. I love that translation of that Greek word because it has the idea of, of living one's life this way is something that is so very beautiful in the biblical sense. It is worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness. For that's what the Lord desires. That's the second word, acceptable. Which literally means well-pleasing. If you would be well-pleasing in the eyes of the Lord in terms of the way you live your life, then renew your mind by his word and then you will know what is beautiful in his sight. And you will be progressing towards Christ-likeness. Because that's precisely what he said is the goal for our predestination and salvation in chapter 8. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Though we'll never achieve it in this life, it is the goal toward which we progress to be like Jesus, to become more and more conformed to his image. And that's the word perfect. Perfect. The end, the telos, the goal. Your body offered to God your mind transformed and renewed by his word unto his will. You don't have to be confused in wondering what the goal, Christian, of your life is. Your body offered to God, your mind transformed and renewed by his word unto doing his will. So let me ask you one more time, friends. Have you been in neutral with your Christianity lately, I wonder? Romans 12, 1 and 2 would say to us all, it's time to get in gear by his grace and for his glory. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would help us to do that which you have called us to do. Command what you will of us and grant what you have commanded of us. Help us, O oh Lord, in light and in view of the mercies of God to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, for this is just reasonable service and it is an act of holy and spiritual worship. Help us, O oh Lord, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we may, through testing, discern what is the will of God our Father, that which is beautiful, well-pleasing, and which moves us further and further along the trajectory of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. May that be so by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.